Welcome into another episode of George in the Jungle. I am Aaron Smith, joined as always by my trusty sidekick, George Vogel, the legend himself. Uh, this show is brought to you as always by Remington Tavern. You can visit Remington Tavern at 8892 Glendale Milford Road, 45140, where they have daily happy hour from 3 to 7 p.m. They also have $5 Woodford Wednesdays. You can find them on Instagram at Remy Tav Cincy. That's R-E-M-I-T-A-V Cincy with a Y or follow them on Facebook. And with that, we are off. Uh, George, the Reds are officially back in Arizona and things are underway. Um, they, they reported for physicals. Yesterday, I believe. No, su Sunday? Sunday. 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 Uh, we already have our first injury to be concerned with. I know. Didn't take long. It it sure didn't. Um, but Arizona is is back in action. I'm excited. I I I was excited last season as as baseball got started back up, but not to where I was going to pay attention to Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, and that excitement essentially stems from the fact that they are young, they are exciting. We saw a lot of that last year, and the fact that last year I was not expecting them to start bringing up the kids as nearly as early as they did because it's not the Cincinnati Reds' way to do that. And now we've seen some different things, much hopefully in the same mold as we've seen the Cincinnati Bengals do some different things to try and grasp the attention of the fan base to try and show that they are committed to winning. And uh, I don't know, hopefully we see some of those same things here with the Cincinnati Reds in Arizona. Yeah. And uh big season for the Reds, obviously coming off the excitement of last year. And, you know, they did help themselves in the off season a little bit with the pitching additions. Hopefully those guys are healthy. That's all, you know, it seems like when you talk about baseball, <laughs> it's strange. It's almost more than football, how injuries decimate these teams um, in, in baseball. And it's not really, you know, that kind of a contact sport. Um, I'm committing blasphemy here, by the way. Instead of bourbon, I got a clear one tonight. Mm. Is that, does that mean tequila, vodka, or, yeah. or water? <laughs> Cabo Wabo tequila. But um, the, the concerning thing, Matt McClain, he's got uh, an oblique issue they said it's not a strain they did an mri that's good news to shut it down now but that's what bothered him last year apparently it's not right. the same thing i wish i had a dollar for every time i've heard that um nick lodolo coming back from injury but he says his leg's not 100 percent yet but it doesn't bother him when he's throwing um so they're going to take it easy on him they're taking it easy on Marte. they're taking it easy on india to begin camp um but all of those guys are expected to be ready to go by opening day. Uh, they probably won't be going full speed or ready to go by the beginning of the uh, games down in Arizona, which is not that big of a deal. But you want to get them going as soon as you can. The, the surprising thing to me about the Lodolo thing, it, it was stress reaction, which isn't quite a stress fracture yet. I don't know how that thing could possibly still be bothering him. Um, you know, it, it, I can't remember when they shut him down last season, but 
you know, it's somewhere in maybe July or something. I mean, I've had stress fractures in my legs and, you know, six to eight weeks and you're pretty much good to go. So I don't know what's going on there, but hopefully it's nothing that's going to linger into the season. Um, fortunately for the Reds, when it comes to starting pitching, they have like, you know, if you count the young guys um, that are in camp and, and trying to earn their way a roster spot, you got like 10 guys battling for five starting spots in the rotation. So that's very unusual for the Reds. That's very unusual for spring training for this team. I remember they used to go to training camp back. This is, this is back in the 90s and early 2000s, and they never put money in pitching. That's how come you had Jimmy Haynes and, and Joey Hamilton, names like that starting opening day. They would go in there with a bunch of candidates, but none of them were really all that great. And they'd have like 20 guys that are just like throwing Hail Marys, hoping to, to catch lightning in the bottle. But that's not the case with these 10 guys. They've got very viable candidates. And uh, hopefully that competition brings the top five to the four. I would say, I mean, in my early look at that starting rotation, let me find my Reds page here. But obviously you start with, you know, Green and Lodolo and uh, right. uh, Ashcraft. And then you think Abbott's going to be in there. And then I would say probably Frankie Montas but um, and Nick Martinez is in that mix too. So I, I think those are the – really the six that are vying for five spots and Martinez has all that bullpen experience. It's a nice problem for them to have because if somebody isn't ready to go, they've got Martinez who certainly uh, has shown to be a capable pitcher at the major league level and he can step in. And then you go on down the line, you got uh, Brandon Williamson, Carson Spires, Lion Richardson, Connor Phillips. Those are, that rounds out the 10. That, that they have in camp that they think are are computing, competing for these five spots in the rotation. So that's going to be interesting. And to me, with DJ, the pitching coach, they got the right guy trying to, you know, figure this stuff out and, uh, you know, let the best men win. Just hopefully they're all healthy. So it's a real competition in spring training. And that's why I, I would like to see Lodolo sooner than later, because he started, if you remember last year, and, and he, he felt this problem in Arizona, but his first couple of starts were darn good. He was looking like a top-of-the-rotation stud. And then this creeped up on him, and, and then it wasn't working anymore. And, and he just never got it back together the rest of the season because he couldn't physically. But um, I hope they're all healthy and the cream rises to the top. And, and if they've got a good starting rotation um, with, with the young core they have at, at the position and, and what, what they have, among the position players is uh, it's the makings for a good season, man. I, I really do believe that. Do you think it would be absolutely crazy kind of judging by what we saw last season for the Reds to run with a six man rotation, as opposed to a five man rotation to try and limit some of the innings to try and it, extend possible. seasons. It, it, it depends on where they feel like those young guys are. And, and you know, Abbott's certainly a guy that, that would benefit from that because they ended up having to pretty much shut him down last right. September because of the amount of innings and everything and, and, and stuff was creeping up on him. So you've also uh, not seen a, a full season though from, from Hunter Green, from Nick Lodolo, from yeah, from these young kids. Well, yeah. They, they haven't really had a chance to build up yet because, you know, they've right. all been hampered by, by one injury or another, uh, including Ashcraft. So, um, it, it, that is not out of the realm of possibility that they would do that because 
Um, if you ask me, since David Bell's been here, um, they're not um, opposed to doing something out of the norm. They do things that, you know, carrying three catchers last year. I mean, that was driving me nuts. But yeah, they, same. Did they did it. Um, they, you know, they, they went through that phase where they were uh, batting the pitcher in the eighth spot and, and just different things like that. Uh, David Bell is not afraid to do something unconventional. And uh, certainly that was unconventional last year when they did that. But it made a lot of sense given these young guys and, and the worry on the innings. And so maybe that is something they roll out there for a little bit um, and and see where they go from there, because they certainly have the flexibility to do that um, with the amount of pitchers they have on hand. And it's going to be nice this year. I mean, last year they got – I forget how many guys, different guys started games for them, but it, it was a big number, 17 or – it was something crazy. I mean, yeah. it may have been more than that when you mix in those – what do they call it when the closer starts or the relief pitcher starts the game, the reverse closer or whatever it is. Right. Um, right. They, uh, you know, they've got a lot of options. So that that's the good thing. And maybe they will go with that six-minute rotation. I wouldn't put it past them. I think it'd be certainly interesting, especially when you talk about a guy like Nick Martinez, who has been a reliever. And if you decide to go away from that five or six-man rotation, go to a five-man rotation, maybe you slide him into the bullpen temporarily until you get back to the six man or, or have that kind of flexibility as well with the guy who's on your, on your 40 man on your 20, what is it? 26 man roster now. Um, so that's yeah, and he's, uh, he, he's shown the ability to do that and, and do it successfully. Um, I know he would rather start uh, who wouldn't because you pitch and then you're off for four or five days and you get to do your routine. Also and- a ton more money there. All no doubt about it. Like I, I remember, um, Christ, and, and and it didn't work out. And you know, th- this is one I was wrong on. Um, when Danny Graves was with the Reds back in the late '90s as a closer or whatever, and and the starters were making big time money, um, and he wanted to make that transition, and he had five or six different pitches. So I thought it might work, but. It turned out to be a disaster, but he tried to make that, you know, transition from successful bullpen guy to being a starting pitcher. Didn't work for him, but when you look, it was worth the shot for him because of the disparity in salaries that were going to bullpen guys as opposed to starting pitchers, especially starting pitchers that could eat up some innings. And, you know, he didn't throw overly hard and all that. And that's why I thought it might work in kind of a Bronson Arroyo where this guy maybe doesn't throw the hardest, but he knows how to pitch and he's got a lot of different pitches to throw up there. And, and sometimes it works, but it, it, it didn't for Danny, but it does for Nick Martinez. Uh, I know he would rather start and I get all the reasons for that. However, he has expressed it that he's, you know, if he's in the bullpen, he's ready for that too. I mean, he landed a nice contract with the Reds after being in Japan. So I think he's very thankful for this opportunity and uh, we'll try to make the most of it wherever he is. Sticking on the topic of pitching, uh, there's been some interesting stories that have come out of pitching this week. Uh, we found out that Hunter Green is working on a curveball, uh, something that he has not had as he's only had uh, 
his fastball, his changeup, and I believe a slider. Slider, yes. He's... Before this. Um, but his, his curveball is coming in somewhere in the low 80s, I believe. Um, so that's certainly a very different pitch than coming in with that high heat. Um, so that's one story that's come through. Uh, you also had the odd, very odd Levi Stout story as he <laughs> goes goes back to Seattle and has nothing good to say about his time here at Cincinnati and his development as a pitcher. Um, it, he was one of the guys that came over in one of the Seattle trades, and he goes back to Seattle. Yeah, and I think he was in the Castillo trade. He's, he's excited to be back in Seattle because he feels like nothing good came of his time here in Cincinnati. He was developed nothing and, and just kind of thrown to the wolves from how he put it. Um, we haven't really seen anybody else talk like that after leaving here. Um, well, we know that we, we did have the uh, the analytics guy who had some time here and then, then left, um, I believe, right before last season. Yeah, I, I don't know, Levi. He may be a great guy, but I will say this. He has nothing good to say about Cincinnati. Cincinnati probably doesn't have a hell of a lot to say good about him either because <laughs> he stunk it up here. And it just it, it just smacks to me of an excuse. It does. It just sounds like an excuse. It's like, dude, your ERA was over nine. Pretty much every time they put him out there at the major league level, he just got beat all over the park. Um so, you know, shut your mouth and go do your job at your new, with your new boss, which is his old boss, and, and try to become a good major league pitcher. And don't worry about, you know, Cincinnati didn't spoon feed you. And I'll tell you what, he talks about lack of direction. Here's direction. Get the guys out. Get the guys out. And then you don't – none of this matters. But he didn't get the guys out. That's all I would if, – if, if, you know – if you're the pitching coach, if you're David Bell, whoever, just go get the guys out. What else do I need to tell you? What else do I need to tell you? Um, so I don't know. That just rings a little hollow with me. If he had some something specific to point to that somebody did or whatever, I know he says they don't have a plan. Well, I don't know. I mean, some other guys seem to be excelling uh, in yeah. this organization. So. I took that as some sour grapes and just him trying to save face because he stunk it up so bad here. Well, there was plenty of opportunity in the bullpen last year to to rise as a a, a guy, and he did not seize that opportunity when given the chance. No, I, I was really surprised when I heard that, and just kind of like, oh, come on, dude, please. And 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 again, if he had something really specific, he could lay out there, but. Um, and I'm not, you know, I, I I just think there's enough young guys that have come through with this current uh, organization. We saw several of them last year that have played pretty darn well. I don't hear T.J. Friedel crying about anything. That's that's fair. Um, also, odd stats here. Uh, Lucas Sims, uh, the longest tenured Red currently on this roster now with the departure of Joey Votto. It's crazy. He's only been here since 2018. He is also <laughs> under 30. So there is that. And there are only two players on this roster currently, at least at the uh, in camp here, um, that were born in the 80s. Everyone else is a 90s baby. Um, oh, my and, gosh. So we're talking yeah. who? Um, uh, or, or 90s or 2000s, rather. Um, but the only, only two are your, your boy Suter. And yep. Josh Harrison. Oh, yeah. That would make sense. Two Cincinnati guys. How about that? 
So just just a nice little. Gosh, I almost got in real trouble there and said Luke Maley. I would have been in big trouble. He's not that old. Um, but I, I saw that. Uh, I think those were uh, those were stats I saw in the uh, when I was perusing through the athletic articles. So it's a young you, team. It's a really young team. But it's uh, you know it's an exciting team going into the season. What's going to be big for this team this year? And uh, God knows what you see in spring training because you know the first several times out these opposing pitchers, just like the Reds pitchers, are working on different things. It'll be just like Hunter working on his curveball and stuff. It may not be the same package you're going to see uh, come, you know, opening day uh, when they really bear down and, and use the scouting report against you and things like that. Um, right. This is what's going to be key for this Reds team is these young guys making the adjustment back because I will tell you, and we saw it a little bit with Ellie, they got on to him pretty quick, and he still did some damage, um, still makes impacts on games. But if he can make the adjustment back to where he's got a little bit of the upper hand, you know, Matt McClain's going to have to do that because since that season ended and they've studied these guys, they've got every piece of analytical information they would ever need on them and tendencies and hot zones and cold zones, all that crap. Um, they're going to exploit the hell out of it against this young team. They are going to use that, and these guys are going to have to be ready for it. And I'm sure the Reds know that, and they're getting them ready for it. And, you know, that's kind of why it's important, too, to have even – and I think Josh Harrison's deal, he can opt out in, like, March 21st. But even having him around for a month and a half with these young guys and talk to them about that stuff, you know, and the coaching staff will. They usually bring in some of the former players, and I don't know – I'm guessing Larkin will be down there again. Hopefully, I'm sure Eric Davis will be. Guys like that, um, they're going to be talking to them about that and, and working with them throughout March uh, of making the adjustment back to the what the pitchers are going to be doing to them. And, and that's going to be so large for this team. And fortunately for the Reds, um, they have a guy like T.J. Friedel who's kind of fought through that and handled it very, very well. Yeah here through his first, you know, year and a half or whatever it's been. Um, God, I can't even remember, maybe two and a half years now. But, um, you know, he, he's been through it recently and certainly has, seems to be coming out of the other end uh, with the upper hand. And that's what's going to be so big for this young team, I think, for, from an offensive standpoint. I think it's going to be interesting to see some of the positional battles here in this uh this preseason as well as you look at especially infield infield is a log jam where a guy like a josh harrison is a fringe guy currently may not make this team uh, we'll certainly see how he does down there it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have some leadership from a, a guy who's been in the league as long as he has but do you want to do that at the expense of a guy like uh, a Christian Encarnacion Strand or a guy like a Noel V. Marte or. Yeah, you're probably not going to. It's going to be fascinating. It really is. And and I think injuries may take care of some of this. Um, I hope not, but, but usually it does. But I mean, to project that starting lineup and I got kind of one knocking around in my head, but who knows what it's going to be like, but. Who knows where John India plays this preseason as he's I mean, Jay Candelario, he can play all over and yep. 
certainly they didn't bring him in to sit on the bench. Yep. So, so I'm I'm fascinated to see to see who plays, where they play. Spencer Steer can play. I think he played four positions last year. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in more positions this year. What a good ball player he is, too. I mean, he doesn't just play. He plays him well. Uh, he's really, really um, – I, I don't – nothing seems to bother that guy. He just goes – He's a throwback. Yeah. He's a throw, he, yeah. He reminds me very much of Ryan Friel and the fact that he will do whatever yeah. he needs to do that day. It doesn't matter. He's just here to play ball. Right. But I don't think Spencer will jump headfirst into the stands after a foul ball at Dodger Stadium. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. A foul ball six rows deep, and he's able to jump two rows deep. I don't think Spencer's going to do that, but Friel was well, amazing. You got, you, got, you got netting now, so you can't. George, you can't yeah, do it anymore. Well, yeah. They should They should have put that in 25 years ago, so Ryan wouldn't have been doing that. That's a different story for a different day, George. <laughs> uh, in any case – I don't, I don't know when games get underway off the top of my head. Um, should, sure. I, I should know this, too. It should be early next week, right? Uh, the 24th, Saturday, 3.05, the Reds take on the Guardians for the first official game. The 20 so, what? 24th. Holy crap. Yep, right around the corner. So they don't have a whole lot of time to get things practiced uh, before going out and just – Doing it in real time. So I think I looked at the schedule. It's not like they play the Guardians all the time like they used to because they're both right there in good year and nobody really had they used to play so many games against them, it seemed like, but it's been a better mix over the past few years out there, I think. Yeah, for for February, uh the schedule is um you have the Guardians, the Angels, the Mariners, the Brewers, the Cubs, the Dodgers. And um, that's just to round out the end of February. So they'll certainly get some run on a, on a whole bunch of guys. Curious to see what happens, though, and how the storylines play out, because I think there's going to be plenty to talk about in regards yeah, to Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this unfold. I just think it's really um, – and, and I will say this, too. I mean, I, I've been kind of a baseball nut. Like, that was kind of my favorite sport when I was young. Um and then, you know, the Reds were stinking it up a little bit. But last year really rejuvenated me. And it rejuvenated me before the Reds even, like, started making their moves and stuff just because they sped the game up with the with the pitch clock and all that stuff yep. that I thought, you know, I wasn't sure if I would like it or not. And I'm watching a spring training game, and I'm like, oh, my God. I, I love this. I mean, I think in the regular season – it you don't get time to get bored because something's always happening and anything can happen at any moment. And I think they've really hit on a nice thing here. And I, you know, I like the rule about throwing over to first base. I felt like that should have been implemented a long time ago to quit these guys just lobbing over for no good reason. Um, I think baseball has gotten it right. And uh hopefully there's a there's a, another exciting decade of baseball to come, like we saw. I'm not saying, you know, um, winning back-to-back World Series titles, but that's not out of the, the realm of possibility for anyone uh, that, that has talent like the Reds have. So maybe they can get it going again and bring back Reds' ex- excitement like they had when, when I was young and people just lived to 
see a good Reds game down at Riverfront Stadium and now Great American Ballpark. I hope it gets back to that. Well, Commissioner Manfred did say this week he will not be going for another commissionership. Can't blame him for not wanting to come back. He gets booed probably as much, if not more, than uh, than, than Commissioner Goodell at this point. But uh, I'm not going to hate seeing that guy out of here. No, nah, he drove me kind of nuts on some stuff. Believe me, I, I could go down the list, but we'd be here all night. Well, did want to transition um, real quick. I, I, Chad and I talked about it on the nightcap, uh, but did want to mention it here as we did have Coach Bischel on with us. Um, dropped two in Jacksonville this past weekend. Uh, the third game was canceled, uh, but they did get their first win yep. uh, today against Northern Kentucky, 10-2. to two. So uh, congrats to Coach on his first win as a Cincinnati Bearcat and the team for getting their first win of the season. Yeah, impressive win. And they had some guys do some good things and guys that they're counting on uh, to help them through this season uh, came up big today. And, uh, you know, Connor's off to a hot start and had a big game today. I thought I saw four RBI in the box, but I may be crazy. Um, but uh, that's that's good for them, and it's good to see him get his feet on the ground. And certainly we had a good time with him a couple weeks ago. He was impressive. Uh Landon Vidoric had four RBI in the box. So I got it pulled up here. But in any case, um, UC basketball. Yo. They, they got a win, late game win, a, a win that feels like it usually goes the other team's way when Cincinnati has these types of games. Um, they 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 got the no call uh, the 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 game winning stop I guess by Aziz Bandego. Bond Bandego and oh, Cincinnati pulls one call. out yeah and Cincinnati <laughs> pulls one out 76-74 against the UCF Knights I don't know how that foul wasn't called I really don't I don't I know they 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 have this emphasis, I guess, this year. And, man, I, I hate they have to emphasize something every year. But this was one of them where, you know, those fouls from the three-point line that are desperation, the guy obviously trying to draw the foul and kicks the right. legs out and tries to create. That wasn't the case in this shot, in my estimation. That was a total body bump that's not supposed to be allowed. And I don't know how a foul was not caught. I just don't know. I mean, I've, I I've theorized. Sure, but I don't get it. I've theorized in jest that it was a makeup call from the foul that they called on CJ Frederick early in the, earlier in the game where he was the one taken down <laughs> oh my in, God. A, in a football move. <laughs> you know, there, there's a shame about, and I don't want every play to be replayed. But there's a shame when you go over and you see something that blatant that you can't say, we at least have to add that foul on, right? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, all right, you can keep your original call, but it's a slippery slope. God, that was amazing. It's a slippery slope if you start doing that kind of thing, though, George. It you know is. That. It is. I agree. But man, oh, man. To sit there. So, yeah, you know, that stuff does generally even out over the course of the game, certainly over the course of the season. But 
there there was a lot of a lot of good and a lot of crazy in that game. I mean, um, how how does UC get eighteen offensive rebounds and just twelve second half uh, second chance points? It's a good question. That's a great question. I, I don't know. Question. And, and, and you look other than that rebounding stat, which was good, and that's that's how you see wins basketball games. Plus um, twelve, I think. If you look at the rest of those stats, you're like, how in the yeah. world did they win this game? I'll I'll say this: they they got the turnovers under control after committing two in like the first minute. After that, they uh, I think they had eleven for the game. So. That was much better, and they've got to keep it down to that number. I'd like to see them get it less, but um, you know nobody's perfect. Um, I they had five guys with twenty five minutes or more, so Wes is starting to whittle that down, and he didn't mess around with Vic in this game. And I don't know what's going on there. I, I hope the best for the kid, and I hope he bounces back. But until things are back together and his head screwed on straight. You can't afford to have him out there costing you games because they've got no more room left, basically. And, and I talked about this last week. And I, I think I think Wes went way too long before he reached the point he reached Saturday where he finally said, I'm going to play the guys who are getting it done, and I'm going to use my eyes to see it. How much of that, though, is, is a coach being a player's coach and trusting in your guy, your guy who's been your guy, He's been a starter since Wes got here, and oh. he's been—it's been his guy since day one of of West Miller's tenure. No, and 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 here's where I struggle um, because I hear what you're saying, and from a big picture, what Wes does and the way he's handling him is a good way to sell players. Hey, I'm your guy. Come to my program. I mean, I I get all of that, Wes, um, and and it is a big picture thing. But I felt the season slipping away. Because of that, and I don't think Wes wants the season to slip away. I really don't. I just felt like he should have made this adjustment a couple games ago. Um, but all that being said, they did it. Uh, they got that win. It's tough to win on the road. And, and, you know, they were up 11 in the first half, 14 at one point in the second. But, you know, especially against a team, you know, UCF is actually a pretty decent team and you're playing on the road at their place, they're going to make runs at you. And every basketball game has those. Um, and, and they came back like I thought they would. I just, they made it a lot more interesting because with four minutes to go or whatever it was, and it got down to a one point game, I'm like, they're, th this isn't going to happen. I mean, all the, and, 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 and that, uh, gosh, the uh, Darius Johnson dude, started you know making big plays down the stretch there and 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 day day did a really good job on him most of the game and then all of a sudden i think day day was just gassed down the stretch of that game i think it, because you know that's a lot of work playing that kind of defense on that kid and and this kid was starting to own him and i'll say this west stuck jizzle in that game and and jizzle got into that dude and and he you know he, he made him miss a shot or two. Um, I, I think Jizzle made a big difference when he came in and, and you know, such a great athlete just like Day-Day and can play that defense like that. And I just think Day-Day, I don't I think he was probably gassed. I mean. He, had, he may have been oh, infalterable at that point. He, he did foul out in this one. Um, so it certainly could have been him playing precautionary with some fouls. Yeah, it could be, but but whatever it is, it wasn't it wasn't working in UC's favor. Right. Um 
I just I just felt like he was Darius Johnson was taking that game over and uh, at the critical point, and they had to do something. I, I thought Jizzle did a great job on him. So what else good did you see before we get to the uh, the bad? I guess. Okay, let, I'll tell you something good. Down the stretch, Bandago, three for four from the free throw line. And I'm sitting yep. there because, remember, he made something like eight in a row over the course of a couple games. And yep. uh, I'm like, oh, boy, here comes the payback. Because he made two early in the game. And then I think he missed a couple. Then he may have missed another. I, I can't remember what he finished from the line. But um, I didn't have a lot of confidence down the stretch. And he went one of two one time, and then he came back and uh, made two of two. And it, it was huge. Or I think I got that back. I think it was two of two, then one of two. But anyway, it was huge that he made those free throws down the stretch. That was so big, especially when you're talking what turned into a two-point game. I think um, Lukosius uh, played pretty well down the stretch and 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 smartly had that foul there with, with the three-point lead with – five seconds left or whatever it was, um, right. you know, that that's what you want to do. And you put them at the line like they did. Um, I thought that was good. Dan was just unbelievable at the beginning of the game. And quite honestly, um, played pretty well for the most part. He has these stretches where it seems like he kind of disappears a little bit. Um, but, but he'll smooth that out. But he did scare me at the end. I mean, he missed those free throws that could have salted the game away with like five seconds left. But but they were able to hang on. But you know he he was the leading scorer with 15 points. Um, I just there was a lot to like about that game. Anytime you get a road win in the in the Big 12, you got to like it. Yeah, UCF. Uh, they they lose tonight at West Virginia. Um, one of the the only two teams that have not lost after playing Cincinnati is Iowa State and Houston. Um, and they both played on Saturday after having played Cincinnati. Uh, Houston with the that's crazy. Houston with the game off, um, the midweek game off uh, after playing Cincinnati, so they had a week to rest up. But yeah, Iowa State and Houston, the only two wow. teams after having played Cincinnati and that have not lost. West Virginia seems to be getting. Am I crazy? Are they playing better now since they got that kid back, or is it? It's up and down. You never know with West Virginia. It's still up and down. They lost on Saturday, so they were. I guess they were due. Who knows? Uh, it's, it's Chad and I were talking about it after we finished recording the nightcap tonight. Not not great that UCF loses at West Virginia for Cincinnati, uh, as right. that exactly. could could potentially become a a quad two or a quad three. Anyway, all the all those analytic quad games, net rankings. Blah. Which I kind of know enough about to be dangerous, um, and and I, you know, I get it. I think that I think that net actually is pretty good um, for the most part, but um, I just think that the difference, you know, where you say it's a quad one or a quad two. Well, if it's a low quad one and a high quad two, I mean, and I'm sure the committee kind of takes some of that into consideration. They should. Right, but that's yeah. above my pay grade. <laughs> um, so, what bad did you see out of this team then on Saturday? Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, what bad did I see? I think I wrote down only the good things. Um, 
I mean, Dan missing those free throws was bad, but that's, again, he overall had a pretty good game. They didn't shoot the ball well. Um, they didn't shoot from three all that well, even though they made, what, seven? I guess they weren't horrible. Yeah. Um, Still I, 20, 27%. I, 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 no, I, I don't have a whole lot of complaints other than it's like when you get up by 11 or you get up by 14, you want to put it away and you don't want to have to be – sitting here sweating bullets at the end of the of regulation but again when you're on the road and you're in the big 12 and it's you know i, I don't want to say this i can't say this team lacks a killer instinct because most of these big 12 games have come down to the wire i mean it, it's it's not just it's not just cincinnati i mean it's not like um you know a lot of these games are are put away uh, once and for all early in the game, and it, it just doesn't happen. Um, let's see if there's anything else I got on this sheet. Um, but I think we talked about it all. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, we talked about everything I got on here. Bandago, 13 points, eight rebounds, and, and really making a difference. I mean, you know, when they throw it low to him, I do. Here's bad. Do you want bad? Probably still too many lobs and like kind of Hail Mary lot. When it's there, it's beautiful. I just feel like there's still a little too much of that. And uh, and don't dump that ball down to Aziz on the block expecting something great. It's fair. At this point, I mean, a lot of time, I mean, it looks like he's on skates. Chasing a squirrel, trying to make a post move. Sometimes he <laughs> just go, and he's down on the floor, and you know what I mean. But I, I can't complain about his hustle, his will, his want to, and he does change shots defensively. He changes a lot of things defensively when he's in there. You got to kind of think about that dude being there because he's such an octopus. I mean, it's just everywhere. Yeah. Uh. Cincinnati does play tomorrow as they host Oklahoma State at 7 p.m. at Fifth Third Arena. Uh, currently, uh, or at least at, at, I'm not sure currently, but it did open at 10 and a half. Cincinnati yep. favored 10 and a half. That's a big favor to Cincinnati. Yeah, it is. And uh, Oklahoma State just lost a dude, right? One of their guards. Um, I think he had surgery or something, but they got that kid from East Carolina who I remember, Javon Small, who had 23 against the Bearcats, I want to say last year. Yes, he was at East Carolina. Um, good player, really good player. Uh, he's a problem, but um, they're not very big. They don't let you hit the offensive glass very well, but I think you see well against them. They're not big. Um, I think they're big man's a freshman, but he's very good. Um, I just – this is a game the Bearcats should handle business. You have to. And and you've struggled at home. If you want to get to the tournament, this is as much of a must win as, as any game on your schedule at this point. And Oklahoma's on the road. I mean, they're 0-6 in the Big 12, 0-7 for the season. You lose this one, the season is essentially 
over outside of winning the Big 12 tournament, and I don't see that happening. Right. No, totally agree. Um, so hopefully the Bearcats play the way we think they can at home and take care of business and, and move on to the next one, which is at TCU Saturday at 3. Which of these games currently remaining scare you, George? That one does, even though they're not like what playing like they were, obviously at Houston. Um, you know what, Aaron? They all scare me. They really do. <laughs> they do because, because they need most of them, if not all of yeah. them. They do. Um, you've got to treat each one of these as its own deal and just get after it. I mean, I would love to see UC compete and maybe uh, pull one out of Houston would be awesome. But, you know, even Kansas State coming here is not going to be easy. You know, at Oklahoma, UC should have won that game here. So maybe they get even on the road out there. That would certainly be nice. Um, yeah, I, I can't say I can't say I'm not scared of any of these games, including West Virginia at home because UC lost them down there. Right. Uh, TCU currently up five on, on Texas Tech. They can win most of those. TCU is currently up five on Texas Tech. Um, so we'll see. Um, What's in that any game? case? Go back to that schedule real quick. Yeah. If you can. Yep. No problem. Sorry. I don't mean to be bossy. I want to see. I'm no, going to be in Florida Saturday. So that game's on plus. Okay. That was a really selfish thing of me to do. <laughs> I got days to figure that out. <laughs> you could have asked. It's fine. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm very curious to see how the, the Vic thing plays out, um, especially after Wes yeah. said it was due to, due to the small lineup that worked out well in the first win against UCF, and we'll see. I don't think he'll be starting, do you, tomorrow night? I don't I don't think he should be starting. I think that right. Dan offers offers you something significantly different in that starting lineup, uh, the spark that you need to start out quick. And, and this is a team that's fairly small too, so it's not like, you know, you're going to need a couple of bigs in there. Um, and I, I've just felt all along UC's played better that way anyway. I just really have felt that way. Um, and that's that's not, you know, just Vic being in there. It's it's two of anybody. I think they've played better with one. Um, that's not, you know, a blanket statement that every situation, you know, there's different matchups and stuff you, you play to. But just as a general rule, it seems like when they've been with that smaller type lineup, it, it's clicked better for them. I would agree. Um Nothing else really then on Bearcats uh, hoops. Um, football, spring ball right around the corner, but no real news going on there outside of no, they lost that running backs coach. And I'll tell you Dur what. And Darrell Sims goes to Tennessee. Yeah, I hate to see that. I hope they don't lose that running back recruit um, who looks like a good one. But that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't, I don't you know. But that's that's 
as much as we moan and, and all this about the players moving around, golly, coaches may, I mean, they're, it's on steroids with them. Yeah, coaches, uh, they, they do. You would have thought that the dust had settled and you were good going into spring ball as far as coaches went at this point. Yeah, it, but, it never seems to settle. I mean, it's, and, until the ball's kicked for the regular season, um, it just goes on and on. And, and I don't know. I mean, I just, I, whew, I would have had trouble in that profession. I can tell you that right now. Like you're telling kids, do this, do this, do that, you know. Come to come to our school or the there that we'll do that and then a month later I'm over here and it's like well if it was so great there why are you now over there well you know this stuff and it just I I don't know it it, it gets every now and then it beats you down and you're like this is just some kind of BS they almost need a structured schedule where coaches can move during this period, <laughs> you know, it's like, because it, it, you never feel safe. You well, never have a, a stable staff that you know what's going to happen. A week we can't do that though, because the NFL takes guys. Some people just walk I know, away. In a dream world uh, after a beer and a tequila. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's no answer to it. There's really no answer. But uh, it's just, you know, you, you just, it, it just, I don't know. It's just, it's just odd to me because you know how coaches demand loyalty. Oh, they, they most certainly do. At least they used to. And now it just seems like there's no loyalty except, uh, you know, the Benjamins and all that good stuff. Well, funny you bring that up. That gets me to the next story I wanted to cover with you. Uh, NCAA President Charlie Baker says that he does not want any more transfer limits. Uh, he came out and said that today. Um, this is a complete 180-degree turn from where the NCAA stood on transfer limits just several months ago. Kind of weird how a couple of court appearances, mm -hmm. all of which lost, Change your tune a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's changed the NCAA's tune a few times over the past several years, uh, anytime court gets brought up. And who knows what this leads to? I mean, it's kind of there now. Um, but this is a really – this is the strangest time in college athletics, I think, since I've been – able to know what college athletics are when, when it comes to these transfers and NIL and all this stuff going on. Um, and, and, you know, again, it, it who knows where it's going to end? I don't know. I, it, it may settle down. Um, you know, it's, I, I, I don't know what to think of it because I'm used to, you know, you sign, if you transfer, you sit out a year. And I'm not saying that was right. I was just used to it. Um, and now, in, in a matter of years, it's just flipped. It's mm -hmm. just and, – and look, the players should have some ability to move. And, and they ab absolutely they should. Um, but I, I don't know what the answer is because, uh, again, I just don't know how you uh, – 
I feel bad. I just ripped on coaches, but I feel bad for them now because, you know, in a way they got to deal with that because they don't know what players are going to have from, you know, end of season to spring ball, spring ball to fall. It's crazy. I guess I guess my stance on it is just the fact that kind of along the same lines of what Charlie Baker said in this interview that he gave that was apparently an hour long, uh, but he essentially said coaches leave and go when and whenever they want, wherever yeah. they want. Why why would it be any different for the student athletes, which by the way are students first, then athletes, and students transfer all the time as well without restriction. So how are you holding the athlete to a different standard than you're holding either their peer students or the coaches? Right. And and, and now, um, you know, uh, coaches have always kind of been hired guns because you kind of knew they would be moving on to the next town at some point. Um, players are kind of like that in that with NIL and all that, they're getting paid. And they're kind of hired guns. And and what you, what you hope, and this is where I'll go back to the UC basketball team and Wes Miller and the culture he's building and the big picture that I talked about with the big thing, is you want to create a uh, culture, a, a, a program, something people want to be a part of and know they're going to be taken care of one way or the other. And I, I, I think that's what Wes is trying to do. Um, I, I would think that's what all coaches would want to do. Um, but I feel like he's kind of doing that. It wasn't like, you know, he had this mass exodus last year after a season that came up short. Uh, and I I feel like that's what he's trying to do. And, and I appreciate that. And I hope it works. But I think that's about the only way to combat this thing is, is you have a place. Now, there's always going to be someone, hey, there's 500 grand over here or whatever. Right. Kids are going to take that. They're going to, you know, so you, each kid's different. Their situation's different. They may need it more. I mean, I, you know, I, I certainly, it would have turned my head for sure. Um, and I, I can't blame anyone for that. But I think he's trying to uh, create that kind of culture where kids aren't necessarily looking for it. If it's there, it's like, but is this going to mess me up? Because I'm having success here, and I've got a a, a, a long-term path to success here, and I think that's what he's trying to do, and I think that's about the only way you can combat this. Well, the only other NCAA topic I had for tonight um, kind of goes hand in hand with that. As uh, first and foremost, the Pac-12 uh, did they they booted George Klyakov out of there. They hired a new commissioner, and they brought in. Uh, her name is Teresa Gould. Um, she's the first woman Power Five commissioner, and uh, they—they, they, I'm assuming, as the CFP was not being voted on, they, the Pac-12 continued to request extensions as they did not have the commissioner in place for the future of the Pac-12, Pac-2, whatever, however you want to refer to them as. There, man. Uh, but they did vote on a CFP unanimously. Um, finally, today, it is in place for two years. It is going to be a five plus seven model for a 12-team playoff. You're going to have the five highest ranked conference champions across the board. There is no Power Five, no G5, any of that. It is simply the five highest ranked conference champions and then seven at-large teams in the 
12-team playoff system, and that is in place for the rest of this TV contract, which is two more seasons. That's probably the best way to do it right now. It really is. Um, and thank goodness they're seeing the light. I, we all have known since 20 years ago, you know, when, when FCS was doing their playoff and other people were doing their playoff, and Division One was still dragging its feet, and it was beholden to the bowl system. And I got to tell you, there were some great bowl games. A lot of those major bowls um, put on a show, man. They, they were great. Um, the hospitality was second to none. They treated the team so well. They did. It was a big deal, and I can see why uh, that, that bowl faction didn't want that to ever go away because they had these traditions and all that. But. I felt 20 plus years ago, the NCAA should have opened up to a 12 to 16 team uh, championship bracket. And, you know, the NCAA likes money. What if you just throw out cities bidding on these games? Because every one of these games is going to mean something. And you throw it out there like a Super Bowl bid or, or an NCAA tournament bid where you bid the host a regional or what? My God. They left some money on the table, you know, keeping these bowls the way they are. But those bowls do generate a lot of money. I went down uh, like one of the first, well, the first major bowl UC was in was that Orange Bowl down in Miami. And I went down to that thing as a member of the media. And, you know, I've been to bowl games and this stuff, but I cannot tell you how blown away I was by everything they did that week during that bowl game. But I, I, I think this system is the way to go. I, I don't know how much bigger. I, I said 16. I think that's probably what they'll land at at some point. But I do think there's merit having those four first-round buys and letting the other teams duke it out and, and, and get down to the nitty-gritty. But it, it's going to be exciting. I mean, I do you know how great this is going to be to see? I mean, it's going to be the NFL playoffs all over again only in December or whenever they're doing this. It's it's going to be awesome. At least for two seasons, it'll be in its probably most pure form. Um, after those two seasons are up and the NCAA, which is leaning heavily currently as things are in a complete state of disarray uh, as uh, the NCAA body exists, um, they're leaning heavily into the Big Ten influence and the SEC influence, and we'll see. Right, what and that's what I'm worried about, too. This will become a Big Ten SEC playoff, and it's going to be like for the Bearcats to make it or any of these other teams to make it outside of the SEC and, and, and Big Ten, it's going to take a, a Hail Mary shot like UC had when they made the playoffs. It's going to be one of these one-off things where good luck doing that year after year. Look at us matching. We're so cute. We are. That's really nice. I'm glad we talked. Mute your TV, Chad. Mute your TV. Sorry. Um, George, the thing that's kind of been spreading around today is that when this thing goes up, back up for, you know, uh, restructure, I guess is a good yep. word. Yep. In 2026, there's a belief they will go to 16, 
And it'll be with the caveat that the Big 12 or the Big 10 and the SEC get four spots each. Oh my God, of course. And look, I, I, I'm not shocked by that at all. Like, so as I, you know, the writing was on the wall to me when Texas and Oklahoma agreed to go to the SEC. And it's like, now wait a minute, how much harder is it going to be for you to get in the play? And it's like, okay, something's going on here. Yeah. The SEC's got something going on that they're going to have a bunch of teams in this playoff. So, so there's a chance as many as half, and I'm guessing it gets negotiated down as they go through this thing. But, I mean, I would guess, you know, if they go to 16, at least six of them will be spots that are secured. And that's a, the crazy thing, George. You know, if, those would be eight automatic qualifiers. Right. And I bet you'd still find a way to, to get, get others into the 16. Right, and but, and but they're just saying we get eight and y'all get eight, and potentially that's the rumor that's out. That that would not shock me at all. I mean that that explains a lot, and I've I've always wondered. It's like okay, something's going on here, you know. USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington joining the Big Ten. It's like would well, have been a hell of a lot easier to get to that playoff. The path they had. Another fear I have, though, there is to be a carrot. Right. Another fear I, another fear I have is: Are you going to cut any games out of the regular season in order to make room and allow for this expanded playoff? And if you're doing that, are you watering down the season? Are you how many out of conference games are you going to have? How many uh, conference games are you going to have? To yeah. Where- that's where it's interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I can't see them. I mean, I, I still think they'll be at 12. And uh, but but I mean 12, then you get to 13 with that, and then you're talking, but but you can turn this thing around pretty quickly. I mean, I know it's not the NFL, but the NFL does it. And I used to chuckle because the, these people would say, Well, we can't. Um, have a playoff. Our kids are in school. Well, when the playoffs going on, they're on Christmas break. I mean, now kids get Christmas break from Thanksgiving to like the second week of January or something. Well, what does what does the what does the schedule look like when you have to worry about kids being in school and enrolled in classes? Are you carrying this fall sport now, fall semester? over into the spring potentially to try and fit this many playoff games. And that's where everything gets really weird. You're worried about football players going to class. I mean, they're, they're still students. I'm not worried about them going to class. I'm just saying you have to get it all in during the semester, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, but they, they, you know, they got all that figured out anyway. They're, you know, it's called independent study, summer school, there's it's gonna, gonna be weird. for independent study for this guy, by the way. <laughs> well, I think that's gonna wrap it up though. What he was doing when he was like a grad student, wasn't it like independent study and he was going watching football tape? Who's that? Football offices. Desmond Ritter, when he was a senior, what his last year at UC, wasn't his like class just watching like Game film of opponents and stuff. 
you and you and Chad would probably have a better idea than okay. I would on in regard to that. But um, I don't have anything else unless you have anything else today, George. No, I'm tapped out for a change. It's not often, but tonight I'm tapped out. I did forget a funny story uh, in going back to uh, Reds baseball. I don't know if you saw it today. Ellie De La Cruz hit a, a BP ball off of Hunter Green. It actually hit Hunter Green's window and uh, broke his window of his car. Facility. <laughs> oh, my God, that's great. <laughs> great. Um, he, did he, he hit it off. He hit it off Hunter or hit it off of Hunter Green and it hit Hunter Green's car. That's perfect. It looked like a like a SUV Maybach, which oh, I would that? imagine is several hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Maybach, Maybach, whatever you give him. Hey, Hunter's got that big contract; he can cover that. He does have that. He shouldn't have given up the Gopher Ball. No, that was the funny thing is is Hunter said yelled at Ellie, "You're paying for my window," and Ellie was like, "You make more than me." Like, no, I want. No, I'm not doing that. That's hilarious. Oh my god, early camp controversy. I love it. Yep. Well, that's gonna wrap it up for another episode of George in the Jungle. Appreciate you, George, as always, and appreciate Remington Tavern. Again, you can check them out at eight eight nine two Glendale Milford Road four five one four zero for their daily happy hour from three to seven p.m. Five dollar Woodford Wednesdays. And uh, you can even check out that $5 wood for Wednesday tomorrow during the game, if you were so inclined. Uh, Instagram at Remy Tav Cincy and follow them on Facebook. But until next Tuesday, uh, that is, that's the show. And we will see you next week at nine o'clock. Thank you, Aaron. You got it.